Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of MMA, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you feeling? You know what? I could be, um, I could have like a fever. I could have broken bones. I could be like <laughs> on a stretch on my way to the ER. And I feel pretty damn good after that win last night. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> was a good one. Yeah, I mean, congratulations to the Raiders, Raider Nation. Big it's one. like a fighter that gets all beat up, but he wins. You know what? He don't feel a damn thing. He don't feel yep. a damn thing the next day. <laughs> and uh, I'm, you know, thank God my family's feel better. We get gotten over COVID and everything, and uh, we've been over it. We're doing good, and you know, I. Always have my little situation with my back, but and I know you're having a little situation. You're so stubborn. You went running <laughs> when it's like twenty degrees out, and you forget about something called black ice, and you know you can't do that no more. You got to stop. No. That's what the treadmill's for. The treadmill <laughs> is for when there's black ice. You go on the treadmill. You you go on the treadmill. You go inside. You say, "Oh, the treadmill. I'll use it today." Um, <laughs> I I know you're a maniac. And uh, you got to run. And you, you, know you, gotta, what my, you know what my first thought when I got up, when I finally peeled myself off the ground for the third time in the last week, I thought, oh, my God, thank God I didn't break my hip. Can you imagine if I had to come on here and say, hey, guys, I broke my hip. Can you imagine the old man jokes I'd hear for the rest of my life? And I yeah. fell down so hard. I was like, oh, thank God I didn't break my hip. <laughs> no, thank, listen, thank God you're okay. Please use the treadmill when, when it's cold like that or something. <laughs> Seriously, really. We don't yeah. want to something to happen. You have a beautiful family. Um, you know, but we, uh, yeah, I, I feel good because just win baby, you know, that saying that the great Al Davis, the great late Al Davis, uh, said was, I mean, you talk about being on the button, just win, just find a way to win, find a way to win in life and in the football and in baseball and in, in boxing, find a way, find a way. Sometimes it doesn't come down to strategy, X's and O's, talent anymore, speed, everybody's dead tired. It comes down, find a way, have, have, find a way. Something inside you, find a way, refuse to lose, find a way. And, and the Raiders, you know, for all their weaknesses, everyone's got weaknesses, but, you know, for all the things that they obviously could be stronger in positions and this and that, they found a way. They, there's one thing that you can't put in there. That's heart. And they showed so much heart, so much grit. Really, congratulations to all of them. Congratulations to my son, Teddy. Um, I'm so happy for him. I'm so happy for all of them. They worked so damn hard. Uh, obviously, everyone works hard, but, you know, these guys had a lot of things happen during this season, a lot of crazy things, a lot of tragic things happened during this season. And you know what? How, how do you get in this position? How? Find a way. Will. You know, will will be skill, you know, uh, quite often. Uh, like the great Customato, to quote him or paraphrase his quote to me, was, Teddy, Will will always beat skill unless one man's skill is so far superior that the other man's will never gets tested. Same thing in life, same thing in the team, whatever. And, um, you know, when you get in the NFL, it's pretty comparable to talents out there. You know, some teams have more, no doubt about it. But uh, it's, it's, it's fairly comparable. And then it comes down to execution, obviously. You know, technique, teaching, coaching, that's all part of it. But nothing replaces Will. 
And uh, that was a great exhibition of that for people, you know, that maybe things are going bad in their life and they've had some bad things. I mean, you had you had so many terrible things with this team. And um, and what happens? They, they just kept banging away, banging away, not giving in, you know, it's never over. You know, Yogi Berra had that saying, Ken, it's not over till it's over. Yep. You know what that really is defined for me, what that means? It's not over till you say it's over. That's right. That That's 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 what it says to me. It's not over till you say it's over. You don't give a freak about what this one says, that one says, you know, even what the statistics might say sometimes. It ain't over till you say it's over. And when you don't say it's over, well, you always got a shot. You know what? You know what that makes me think of Teddy Alex Volkanovsky when uh, when uh, Brian Ortega had him in that guillotine, a mounted guillotine, and I was like, "Oh, it's over." And even even um, Alex was like, "Yeah, I could see the light start to flicker," but he kept trying, kept trying, and refused to believe it was over, and it wasn't. And that's the magic. I mean, that's it. That that's the one thing that machinery doesn't have. That that the genius of human life. <laughs> really the miracle of human life you know whether you believe in god whether you believe in nature whether you, whatever whatever you believe in but the miracle and the magic of human life that it's it can find a way it it can do miraculous things it, it can make things happen that aren't supposed to happen <laughs> how yeah. It's it's it no longer it's not on a physical realm anymore. It, it, it goes on a different realm, it's a, a mental realm, or whatever you want to. But it's not on a physical realm. It, it's it's like you just said about Volkanovski, that he he just refuses to submit, refuses to surrender, refuses to quit, and he he finds a way out. He he finds a way where it's becoming dark. He's floundering around, floundering around. I found the light switch. <laughs> yep. The light's on. And that's what I just want to say that, you know, for that moment where sports can lend itself, you know, to human condition, to human real life, where any of you guys out there, you know, going through some tough times, and I know that you are, and there's plenty of people, we all go through our, our difficult moments, um, you know, you can still find that light switch to get the light on. You know? Yeah, the other thing the other thing that I thought about when you were talking about the Raiders is um, <clears throat> about all the teams are good. Everyone's talented. And there's no better example of this. I was telling my kids, they, they we were talking about what could happen in all the playoff scenarios. And they said, the Indianapolis game flashed on on the red zone. And I said, oh, Indianapolis is going to kill these guys. And look, and I, but, but I said to the kids, I said, oh, look, this is a close game. I said, Anyone in the end, every single player in the NFL is good. Every team on any week can win a game. And Jacksonville had nothing to play for, and they beat the crap out of the Colts and kicked them right out of the playoffs. And the Colts have had that um, hard knocks with them in the season uh, for the first time. And when you when I watched it, I thought, this is a really good team. These guys have a good, good chemistry. The coaches are into it. The players seem to be on board. To see them lose to a team that was as bad as Jacksonville all week, to, go, to get knocked out of the playoffs was... 
at one on one hand it was heartbreaking on the other hand it was like holy shit you forget that every nfl team is stacked with the best players in their colleges every guy who plays in the nfl on sunday was the best guy on every team he was ever on 90 percent of them unless they went to alabama uh it's crazy no, and it's, no it is so ken i'll tell you something you just touched on something and and it's like an axiom out there you know it's a cliche whatever but um you hear it quite often. You just said it, where you, they had nothing to play for. See, that's where I would come into coaches, and I would come into these people that say that, whether it's coaching, whether it's teaching, whether whatever realm it is. And I would say, stop saying that. Stop saying that. Maybe we need to learn. How many centuries have to go by before we learn there's always something to play for? <laughs> you're playing for yourself. So what if you're out in a column that tells you wins and losses? So what? That tells you going to the playoffs. I'm not going to the playoffs. But what about that column about yourself, your self-identity, who you are, what you want to be able to be, what you want to be able to represent to your children, to yourself? You know, you're – there never comes a time that there's nothing to play for. Hey, you're, you're playing for your right to feel the way you want to feel. Like you count, like you matter, like you should be respected, <laughs> that you shouldn't be a 20-point underdog, whatever. That you're, There is always something that you're freaking playing for, always. People should take note of that. I, it just hit me when you said that. I said, I got to jump on that because yeah. that, that's one that has to be readjusted a little bit. Nothing to play for? No, there's always something. Find what it is. Find what it is. I would say maybe that's like the cliche, nothing to play for. But I would, to it your is. point, my argument would be, you want to be on this team next year? You want to get paid a million dollars to play football? You better get your ass out there and get after it. And they did. It was, I mean, they put it on them pretty good. It wasn't Always like something a, to play like, for. Yeah. Yep. Always something to play for. Always something to live for. Yep. Speaking of which, big game tonight for the guys at my bookie. Who do you like in the Alabama-Georgia game? I like Georgia. I'll tell I do you. too. I, I know that they got you know, slapped around a little bit. But, you know, to our point, the talents are comparable. I mean, nobody's got more talent than Alabama. They got the top recruited class year after year after year after year. Georgia's right up there too. Um, but it comes down to that but. You know, it still has to be connected with the will. It's got to be connected with the emotion with the desire, with that want, that want. And I'm not saying, obviously, Alabama's been a national champion so many times, obviously, with, with Saban. Um, he, he's broken a record, I believe. I think he broke Bear Bryant's record um, from Alabama, but with the most national titles or tied it, whatever. Um and they're definitely, there's no doubt about it, they're what your team, the New England Patriots, used to be. They're a dynasty. Um, but they won the first game against Georgia. There was an urgency in the air. That was, that was their playoff game. I mean, if they didn't win that, they don't get in the playoffs yep. uh, at that point. They already had one loss for the season. So they had to win that. They, they had that it factor. They had 
They had to win that game. It was more important to them than it was to Georgia at that moment. And now that's gone. Now here they are, the number one team. And uh, Georgia, Georgia is obviously there. And, yeah, they got spanked by Alabama uh, some weeks ago. But there's something different in the air. There's that, that want. There, there's that, that urgency. You know, that, that urgency that uh, this, is, this is it. They, I know this sounds crazy, but they could afford to lose that first time. I That's know you right. try not to let that creep in there. But guess what? I said it earlier. We're not machines. We're human. And it creeps in there. I think now it's going to be different. It'll be a hell of a game probably. But I, I favor Georgia. Again, the talent's comparable. Alabama has a little bit better uh, probably. But now comes the other things. The, the desire, you know, the, the will. You know what it reminds me of <clears throat> when you were just talking about the first time they played? It reminds me of the time the Patriots had a perfect season. They beat Gi- they beat the Giants at the last game of the regular season, and then they lost to them in the Super Bowl. In hindsight, you would have given anything to lose that regular season game but win the Super Bowl. And Brady has said, I'd give back multiple Super Bowls to get that Giants loss back that perfect yeah. season. That was like uh, that was the most painful loss I've ever been a part of that 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 I've ever experienced that I wasn't on the team. I was pissed. I was like inconsolable for like a couple of days. I was like, "God, I'm so angry." And but and if they I just, don't I, if they don't if they don't beat the Giants in that last regular season game, the they they don't beat them if they lose and you just touched on. If they lose that game, probably beat them in the- I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean Again, these are the mystical things. These are the intangibles. These are the nuances. These are those things that you can't quantify. You know, we can quantify speed with the stopwatch. We can quantify power and strength, how many bench presses they they can lift, what weight, all that stuff, the explosiveness. But you can't quantify that stuff. And that's what I would be betting on tonight, that stuff um, with Georgia over obviously a, a tremendous Alabama team. Um, let's talk some fight stuff. Uh, oh we yeah, got some, we got some good fights coming up. I mean, we got some good MMA fights or UFC fights coming up. That's for sure. For sure. Actually, before we get into the MMA, we hadn't discussed this, but I just saw Mike Coppinger sent out a tweet that said um, the Canelo cruiserweight fight may not be finalized, and that he may actually slip into a Charlo fight on Cinco de Mayo. That would be a hell of a lot interesting, more interesting to me than him fighting a, cru- a random cruiserweight champion. Uh, the cruiserweight thing's interesting, but not as much as the Charlo fight. No, you know, Ali said it. He said, you know, your hands can't hit what your eyes can't see. And, you know, for me, a guy like Canelo, people will say, oh, he's moving up to cruiserweight. There's danger there. There's no danger if these guys can't hit you. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't see these cruiserweights. I mean... Usyk would have been a different story, but he's not there. Now the guys that are there. No, he I is not. I, he's not beaten Usyk. I don't care what anyone says. Like, that's. <laughs> I no, don't no, see, that's like, a different story. But now with yeah. the cruiserweights that you can pick from, you yeah. can get guys that are cement footed. You can get guys that yeah. are one punch at a time. You can get guys that might have some strength, but um, but they're not. You know they're going to be at a disadvantage with a 
with a well-rounded guy and a quicker guy and a smaller, more fleet guy like Canelo. I mean, the, the history of boxing tells you that, 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 you know, smaller guys, you go back in the sport 200 years, whatever, uh, smaller guys have beaten bigger guys. Uh, there's a reason for it. Uh, because they were quicker, they were smarter, they were, you know, uh, more sophisticated in certain areas, uh, you know, more agile. Uh, the bigger guy couldn't use what his strength was, which was maybe power. But, but the smaller guy could use their strengths, which was speed and finesse and agility. So elusiveness. So for me, yeah, I agree with you. I, I'd be more interested in seeing him fight Charlo, even though I think he wins the fight. But I'd rather see that because Charlo's a step up at least, you know, from, from the Billy Joe Saunders and from the plants. He, he's a step up from them. And so if you were trying to build a case and, and God knows people were trying to build a case that those guys had a chance, even though I said, I'm not right all the time, but on this show I said, no, no chance, no chance, no chance. Some people got mad at me. But, um, you know, I, I still, in, in this case, there, there's more of an argument to be made for the chance of, of you know, him fighting uh, Charlo. Yeah, the Charlo. And there's more of an argument to, to at least make a case for that than the Billy Joe Saunders in the plan because he's got more talent. Um, yeah. And, and again, I, I, I obviously I, I think it would favor Canelo and Canelo, of course, has the ability to navigate and make the choices of who he's fighting where other guys just hope that they're on the list so they can get paid more. That's what's happening right now. No different than years ago in this sport when Ali was champion. If you fought Ali, you got paid more because Ali was that that guy. Um, no different than when Tyson was the man and you got paid more than you normally would get paid for a title fight because you were fighting Tyson. Um, you know, uh, same thing now. If you fight Charlo, you get... You, Canelo. you hit the Canelo. jackpot. Yeah, if you, you know. fight Canelo. Uh, uh, Canelo. If you fight Canelo, uh, you, you hit the jackpot. So yeah, I think I think know, Caleb Plant got ten million bucks to fight him. Yeah, I mean, ten it's crazy. million bucks. But it's been that way in the history of boxing. If you retrace, there's always the, the guy that that is the uh, you know the guy that you can make more money than normal with. And right now the guy is right now the guy is Charlo. Uh, unless you're talking about the heavyweights where you go up and then you maybe you're going to go to London and you fight, even though Joshua kind of put himself out, but you're never out because, you know, fans are fickled, promoters don't care. They still find a way to make the money. And even though he lost to Yugas, uh, to, uh, to um, Yusik, uh, you know, if you got Joshua with that great following over in the United Kingdom and you, and you put him in uh, – you put him in Wembley Stadium uh, again, uh, whether it was with Uzik or you somehow it could come back around like musical chairs and it could wind up being, you know, uh, uh, Fury, which is what they were hoping for, but it didn't happen. Uh, of course, Uzik was the fly in the ointment for that one. But that would still be, forget about it. You'd still, Joshua and Fury would still be, astronomical numbers um 
But never mind Wembley, Teddy. They got the Saudis are willing to pay $100, $150 million site fee. There's a lot of, um, you'll spend a lot of money to whitewash the fact that you murdered a Washington Post journalist in a, uh, in your embassy yeah, in Turkey. Terrible. So terrible. that, you know, how much would that cost to a country that's got a GDP of like trillions of dollars, whatever it is, to spend $100 million to like get some good press to, uh, you know, kind of deviate from uh, murdering journalists. Um, no, it's awful. You know, yeah, like no, this, you're right. No, that's that's it. Tantam, I mean, that amounts to tip money. Like uh, you, you tip in one of the bellhops that you go into those fancy hotels where you go. Uh, you know the that are uh, that I see on those <laughs> shows. They they put them on those shows, the rich and famous, and those kind of shows. <laughs> you better get you better give a I big tip, or they'll get your luggage up. up there in like two days. <laughs> it's I, like yeah, an extortion. Well, <laughs> you, you need you better tip. I never forget. Remember that show? Um, I don't know if you remember, but Beverly Hillbillies. It was a cute. Of course, show, you know That's a, and, that was a funny show. And Granny and all that. And, yeah, yeah. and Jed, you know, Jed of course became just me and Andy. But he was still a hillbilly. You know, he, <laughs> yeah. Didn't, yeah, he yeah. didn't know the uh, the etiquettes of of that stuff. So they took him to the Beverly Hills, whatever hotel, fancy hotel, and he gets up there and. Uh, one of the people from the bank was with him, and uh, I think it was the woman from the bank, Miss Hafferty or whatever name was. And Ms. Hatfield. He, yeah, and he opens up the door. The the bellman opens the door, puts the bags down, and then he's standing there with his hand out. And yeah. so, um, so Jed, Jed says, "What is he doing?" And Miss whatever name is says, uh, "Well, he's he's looking for his tip." Oh. Oh, why didn't you say so? Um, plant your corn early this year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I know people the- like that. I know people that that are in hillbillies, and um, yet they—that's the kind of tip that they would like to give instead of uh, some De Niro. But yeah. That was, hey, best that was tip, the best advice I can give anyone when checking into a hotel is as you're checking in, you give that person checking you in $20 and I guarantee you that the room that they're checking you into will all of a sudden be like the much better room than the one right outside the elevator, especially if you're asking them to check you in early or something to that. And the nicer the hotel, the bigger the tip. For 100 bucks, you might get upgraded to the only available like presidential suite because it's the only room left in the house and they're like oh your room will be ready at five but i guess we can shoehorn you into the presidential suite since you gave me a hundred dollars it's a universal uh, law and yeah. you know there's certain things that obviously uh you can count on and that's one of them usually yeah but a lot of people don't realize that that's the person you want to tip when they're assigning your room especially if you're spending a lot of money on a vacation even if you take a loss if you're in a nice hotel for a week to give them an extra hundred dollars when the room's a few hundred a night or more, money well spent. If nothing else, you're like, hey, wink, wink, let everyone know that I'm here. Here's a hundred dollars. <laughs> hey, you give a hundred dollars to park your Ferrari. So, I mean, that's nothing <laughs> to you. I'm in, I'm in, I mean, uh, I'm in like a house out in up. the country. I'm in the house out in the country in Nashville now. I don't see any valets. I'd be more likely you to are, see a guy on a tractor. <laughs> How do you like Nashville? You like it? I would say that the people here are a 10 out of 10. Uh, honestly, everyone here is so kind, so nice. Everyone says hello when I'm running. Then I go to New York for something. I run in Central Park and, and, and I out of habit, I'm like, hey, how you doing? As I run past them and no one says hi. <laughs> they look at you like you're crazy. But everyone here is very friendly. I like it here. It's different. But with the, with, with, with the lockdown has made the adjustment period 
not not the lockdown, but you know, there's like a lot more limited activities going on with the COVID, especially with this Omicron. We've had it, you've had it. We've both been playing sick the last two weeks. Um, but I, I would say overall, it's a much more, you know, I think that the perception is that, oh, you're in Nashville or Florida or Texas, you're with the rednecks, the ignorant people. And I'm like, there's no more cases of COVID here than anywhere else. And you wouldn't know there's COVID here. No one has, there's, there's, you know, people have masks within reason at the airport when you're in tight quarters, but not like you're outside. I can remember when it first started and I was running in LA and neighbors would walk by me with their mask on. This is outside, out in the mountains, in the trails. People are like, put your mask on. I'm like, uh, I'm outside exercising. What are you talking about? I'm like by myself in a mountain trail. But they, no one... I think more in Nashville, more so than LA and New York, in my experience, people tend to like take, worry about their own business a little bit more and kind of allow people to do and express themselves the way they see fit without so much like in your face telling you how you should behave. You know, the only, to me, the only ignorant people are the people that are so arrogant to call other people ignorant, you know? I mean, there are cases, don't get me wrong, where people don't use proper judgment and don't allow themselves to find out something before they make a statement or find out more about it, the facts, before they make a statement. Or, you know, just say something based on um, less than facts, based on emotion or based on anger. You know, that that can be labeled under the label of ignorance. Like, but um, when I hear people call people, say, all oh, those people in that area are ignorant, that's an ignorant statement to say that, to cast that kind of, uh, you know, shadow over a group of people. I, uh, that, that to me is, is, is the example, exhibit A of what true ignorance really is. I, I'll finish up with this Charlo thing real quick. Yeah. Um, I, I'd be interested what the weight uh, would be for that fight if Charlo uh, if that does become the opponent in Cinco de Mayo for, for obviously for um, Canelo because Canelo has put on so much muscle if you haven't noticed people um, <laughs> out there you know, going up to light heavyweight then he was talking about cruiserweight He's put on so much muscle. And don't, don't even get me into whether it's got something to do with the beef that they serve in Mexico. All right? We're not, we're not even, <laughs> we're not going to wink, wink. We're not even going to, we're not even going to go there, right? Because I'm sure by now with these $40 million paychecks, one after another, 50 million, whatever the hell they are, he's got to be eating Kobe He's got to be eating Kobe beef. Don't you think, Ken, by now? By now, I mean, by now. Like, guys, come I on. I don't know. Let's, I don't. If there wasn't some smoke there, you wouldn't even have heard about a failed drug test. It's like you failed the drug test and then all the excuses start flowing in. And if you need examples of that, you can look back at when Lance Armstrong failed the first drug test and somehow that got kind of brushed under the rug until the until the case really heated up when he, when he, when he got in trouble for the comeback and like, I don't know. I don't remember the year. It's called 2012. They went back to the original um, cortisone uh, incident where he got busted for that. And then it, they came up with a story. Oh, he had a saddle sore and they rubbed some, um, you know, cortisone on it. And it was like it, 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 the story after the positive test, nine times out of 10, it's like 
bullshit. Like, there's a failed drug test. Of course you have a story. Very few people are like, oh, you got me. Damn it, I thought I could get away with that. It's like, yeah, people yeah. would ask him, why didn't you just come clean quick? Well, once you, it's like you like the, a story as old as time. I tell my kids, don't start lying. Once you get lying, the story, now the incident has becomes huge. If you just acknowledge and take responsibility, you know you're caught. But very few people can just be like, I'm stopping this right now. You got me. I did it. I did it. I know I'm going to get, it's going to get worse. And then the cover up and then the lie. So this thing of the tainted meat, come on, man. Look at the... The, the I don't want to get a, I don't want to get attacked by the, no, no, by the Canelo right. lovers, but, but he's obviously tested positive. The haters out there that uh, sometimes there's a little ignorance in that, but um, we're just pointing out some stuff that's pointable. That's hundred percent. That's pointable to point out, but um, nothing else. But you know, boxing doesn't look into that stuff. We don't have uh, anybody. We don't have any journalists out there, any people out there, really true journalists, very few, very few, um, that are, are going to have interest in following us. And, and it's like nobody cares. It's like, yeah, it's boxing. Not only that, Teddy, if you're the journalist who starts sniffing around and trying to convict Canelo of anything, what do you think the promoters and the other fighters and everyone's yeah, going to say to you when they could get... I just told you, Canelo, uh, Caleb Plank got $10 million. No, I would venture true. to guess that his highest but payday maybe been one or two. That's why mom is the word, and that's why nobody cares. And they, they just say, that's boxing. What are you going to do? Well, and when you've got the most journalists at ESPN are in bed with a promoter, they're not going to come in. And not that not that Top Rank has anything to do with this, but my point is, if, if the writers work for ESPN and they're in partnership with a promoter and the promoter's fighter has an adverse finding, you think that the reporters are going to be egged on by management go get this story no if we get the story and sink this guy's battleship like we're out of the business like our we can't have our big marquee fighters at, with our promoter partner get busted for this like this isn't what we're looking no, for. of course no obviously and listen um getting back to the what i was you know talking about is that i'd be interested in what the weight is because i i don't know if canelo could safely go down to 160. I guess it depends on how much time he has, but uh, down to 160 so easily right now after putting all that muscle on, you know, no matter how he put the damn stuff on. But um, he's obviously on a weight program, so that's – that's I understand. That's cool. Um, but he's obviously put on quite a bit of muscle. And, um, you know, what weight – class could he comfortably fight at now um but you change a couple things you change uh some dietary things and your weight program and whatever else uh obviously you can you can do you can be flexible to get to different weights but that would that would be part of my question is uh would be that yeah i wonder if i wonder if i can't imagine Canelo having all the power here to negotiate, I can't imagine he'd go down to 160 after going up to almost 175. Nah, I think he no just gets way. him to come up to 68. Yeah, and listen, Charlo or anybody else, is we just we just talked about he's the golden goose and where you might make X you normally with somebody, you're making Y when you're fighting Canelo. So obviously they go up and wait because that's that's where they get the payday. I mean, when you think about it, 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 
he he's got a built in he's got a built in excuse if he did go up and lose he's like well it's not my natural weight he took advantage of me but I got the paycheck of course well speaking of all the money and the cash cow there's one guy who is in the driver's seat right now to potentially be one of the highest paid athletes in the world and that's the great Francis Ngannou not only the heavyweight UFC heavyweight champion Teddy but as you know one of the greatest backstories I've ever heard when when you hear Francis tell his story in great detail like longer than what we could ever do on a podcast i had the i had the like i had the great privilege of listening to him tell rob and i this story one time in person and it took a long time to tell the little details of how he got from cameroon in in and across the mediterranean into spain it's unbelievable so he's got the fight coming up with surreal gone but in the background we've also got him and tyson fury going back and forth on um social media tyson fury telling um telling francis that he'll fight him with ufc gloves um in a boxing match i mean obviously he's not going to fight him in an mma uh fight francis probably the most dangerous man in the world in any arena when you factor in all the skills skill sets um but he's in tough with surreal gone uh former sparring partner a lot of um intrigue around this match not only because they're formed they, they used to be friends and, and sparring partners although i don't know I, I don't think francis would say that they were necessarily friends but you know you have training partners that you don't have to be the best of buddies with but you respect each other they train together clearly there's someone released uh Fran- surreal's manager or trainer released some sparring footage this week didn't really make either one of them look good or bad it was just literally just sparring like so you know in sparring you're working on things you're not trying to knock each other out and um i didn't think it made either one of them look good or bad like i said there's been a lot of scuttlebutt about it on the media sometimes you're trying to knock each other out you you go back in time when i've been around you go to philadelphia and see some of those sponsors better than some fights um, I agree 100%. But uh, in and, this and instance, not just Philadelphia, but they yeah. had a reputation for it. Um, yeah, I want to I, I want to come back to, I want to come back to that in a minute cuz I want to ask you specifically about sparring and talk to you about that, but um, for for our purpose now, I was just making the point that they are clearly not trying to knock each other out in this footage. It's probably like 70% punching all uh kickboxing basically. So anyway, with that said, we uh hopefully will have Francis on next Monday. We talked to Rob and I talked to his manager markel martin who we really like and um he's trying to line it up for next monday so hopefully we'll get to chat with francis next monday but in the meantime let's uh let's first talk about the surreal gun francis fight and then we'll come back i want to talk to you i have some questions about sparring and sparring etiquette about what you should share no matter what the point is like i i i think it's a bad i think it's bad form to put sparring tape out unless both guys are like yeah go ahead put it out and i don't get the impression francis was in, encouraging his former trainer to put this out but like i said we'll come back to that what are you looking for in the fight and um yeah let's get into it this is going to be an intriguing matchup yeah the first thing i want to say is when you're talking about the story of you know you and Rob listening to Ganya Francis talk about his backstory. We we had him on the show, of course, and yeah. um, and he talked about that story. So for the fans out there that want to hear that, want to make themselves aware of that, if they're not, uh, check it out. It's it's yeah. in the archives. Obviously, and maybe Rob can put the link in the uh, in the show notes so it's easy to find because he really gets into he tells the full story on the show, but there's just so many details. Yeah. It's incredible. yeah, he told us the story and. Listen, it's a, you know, to to quickly touch on it real fast. I mean, and this is, a, I think he's a special person because he's trying to help the, some of the people in his, where he comes from, his home country in Cameroon. Uh, 
he's trying to use his example and his ability now, his power now, uh, to set up schools of training and different things to to help kids over there. So I think that makes him special for me, at least. Uh, and there's a power to that, I believe, when you're helping other people, you become more powerful because you have more of a responsibility than only to yourself. Uh, so I I think that um, he's a great example of what a champion should be when they are a champion or what they should use their powers, uh, part of what they should use their powers to do. But, yeah, great story. He, he wound up homeless in France uh, and on the streets, living on the streets in a park. And, and then, you know, he got into a gym to learn UFC at a late age, relatively late age for this, for any sport, uh, any combat sport, anything. And, uh, and look what he does. He becomes champion of the world. So it's, it's, a, it's a movie. Uh, the story, Teddy, the story of when he's like when he's got he set up camp in, uh, in in Morocco to try to get across and the time that he spent in Morocco strategizing, looking at the boats, looking at the weather, strategizing, trying to get across the Mediterranean Sea in a homemade rubber raft with like boards for oars. And it's just and, and, and a whole bunch of random people that had paid like, you know, a few grand each to get access to the boat, to the smugglers, to tell them where to go. And Francis becomes the foreman. It, it's a wild one guy. Waves are crashing down, know. and oh, the guy crazy. doesn't want to get in the boat. Francis picks up the board. He's like, "Get in the boat!" It's a gigantic guy, and the guy, you know, people are scared they're gonna drown. It's waves are crashing down. You're getting in a rubber raft to head out to the ocean or to the open sea. It's it's a crazy story, but it's a story of a of a champion because hundred percent that that is those are the things we opened up the show touching on a little bit, talking about. Those are the things you can't define. Those are the things that you're, you're born with. Those are the things that, you know, you can't coach. Those are the things that are the intangible things that make a champion. Uh, to have, he was showing the will of a champion long before he ever learned how to fight uh, by, by taking that journey. And, and then he got a chance to use that will and to use that determination uh, in a different arena, obviously in the, in the, in the MMA arena, in the uh, UFC. Uh, but it, the genesis of that came from somewhere else. Yep. And I bet you there's a lot of people out there that don't even know what they have in them is what I'm trying to say. You don't yeah. even know that you have the stuff of a champion in you. Um, it's just a matter of taking it and putting it to use in the right place. So... Uh, as far as this fight goes, first of all, here's my first instincts, my first thoughts that might make news. We've been making news lately. You know, we, we had Dana White on, made a little bit of news there, right? Uh, yeah, he, he called, what do you do? He issued a challenge to some kid uh, up-and-comer, Jake Paul. I don't know if you heard uh, of him. <laughs> yeah, I heard of him. He literally picked up. Following. New York Post had a, a story following. about it. Yeah. He's got a big following. He makes a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> and, and he's working hard at learning boxing, but uh, Sports Illustrated yeah, so that, Boxer of the Year, Teddy. So that he is. came out. He is. Really? He won that. Yes, hundred percent. Sports Illustrated Boxer of the Year. Yeah. Well, Sports Illustrated is a little different than it used to be, huh? It's not, <laughs> uh, I was right? surprised I mean, they were still around. I, I remember when Ali was on the cover and Tyson was on the cover, and now you got Jake Paul on the cover. Who knew? <laughs> I don't know if he's Who on knew? the cover, but he was Boxer of the Year. No, I mean Boxer of the Year, but. 
Do you wow. remember those I mean, those things? How iconic those those covers were. I think about Tyson, Kid Dynamite. I think about Gretzky when they had him on there, the great one. Um, no, so true. So I many mean, good ones. Listen, he broke that, and then of course we had our friend um, uh, Poirier dusted on the show, and he he broke quite a story too um, yep. about his uh, potential. Uh, quick next opponent. When I say quick, they'd have to put it together fast. Um, we, we don't know if it's going to happen, but with Nate Diaz, of course, one of the most popular fighters, Dustin is up there too, but uh, he's got one of the biggest followings uh, anybody has, Nate Diaz. Yeah, uh, real quick be, on that uh, one, Teddy. It, Nate came, um, Dustin came on and he basically said, look, the UFC offered me a fight. We guessed that it was Nate and Dustin just... Uh, shockingly confirmed. He said, yeah, that's oh, who it right. is. So I, I talked to Dustin this morning. I just said, hey, any development on the fight? He said, no, nothing uh, nothing back. But I think what Nate Diaz did either, because don't forget, it's going to be a short fight notice fight for Nate as well. It's not like he's in camp yeah, and, and conspiring with the UFC to pick off someone. So I think that Either Nate is doing one of two things. Either he doesn't want the fight on his shoulder notice as they were offering him. I think I think it's pretty well understood that it would either be this twenty the January twenty second card or the February twelfth card. That he said um, that I think it's either too short a notice for Nate or he's Probably. trying to squeeze the UFC for more money because thinking oh if they want me to fight maybe I've got some leverage here. But Dustin said no, I've accepted the fight. The ball's in Nate's court. He can either take it or not. What his rationale is because he tweeted out that he talked to Nate sent a tweet saying I spoke to the UFC, Dustin. They don't want to pay for you. They, they don't think you're any good. We already know they've offered him the fight. So, you know, if, if that's posturing to get more money, but Dustin has been, un, he didn't say anything back. So, which leads me to believe that it's a leverage, it's it's a, it's a negotiation tactic by Nate because Dustin didn't respond with anything. He knows what the truth is. So he was like, if that's what you want to tell yourself or tell the fans, be my guest. But we know yeah, what the but deal either is. way, and stuff has been uh, leaking out on our show. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, and, that's why the, the voice of MMA is Teddy Atlas. Uh, well, listen, They're I don't all picking know it up. this is leaking anything else, but I just got a, I don't know, I just got a feeling because it's no secret that there's been some arguing between Dana White and, and Ganyu's people, you know, back and forth stuff. And this is a tough fight. Uh, for both guys. It's a very intriguing fight for me. It really is. Yeah. But I, I, I'm not so sure it's going to happen. That's my, that's my crazy news. I, yeah. I'm just not so sure it's going to happen. I mean, obviously, you don't take anything to the bank. I, I'm the first to say that. I don't have any special information. Um, it's just me being uh, in the game. Uh, and of course, this is the MMA, but still in the combat game, in the fight game, in the business of it, uh, understanding when there's smoke, there's fire. You you used that term earlier. That, uh, and sometimes uh, the fire can be that there's more problems in behind the scenes with the making of a fight than you realize. Uh, you know, and but you hear a little disgruntlement. You hear this back and forth. You, you hear this stuff going. You know, bickering. Um, it, it means something. What does yeah. it mean? You, you find out later. Nothing or something. I'm saying that I, I don't know until they're in the ring or in the cage if that fight's going to happen. But I'm going to break it down because it's, it's, a hell of a, it's a hell of a interesting fight because for me, you have 
and Ganyu, who has something you can't coach. You know, the guys in basketball, the great coaches, they would always say, and that became a, a, a cliche too, where you can't teach, can you can't teach size, right? You can't, you can't coach size. You can't, and so you can't coach, you can't teach size. And Ganyu has size and, and just pure strength. You know, I always say, that punches are born and not made. He, you're born with the power. You're not born with the power. You can improve the power with technique and timing and stuff like that and confidence. And yeah, yeah. But to be that kind of puncher, the special kind of punches that we're talking about with Thor's hammer uh, in their gloves, no. You're born or you're not born like Tyson. And um, so Nganyu is a huge guy. He, he, the size, the, the power, stuff you can't coach, stuff you can't, you can't teach necessarily. But he's got that. But it doesn't mean, see, I'll put a little adjustment on that saying. It doesn't mean that you can't teach somebody how to use their size better, how to use their power better. And I think that that's the case with Francis. He's been in the process the last three years um, since his last loss to Stipe, who who's probably the greatest heavyweight champion of all time in the UFC. And that's still open now. Gan and, and Ganyu are going to have something to say about that statement and about that argument before their careers are done. There's no doubt about it. But up to this point, Miofic, I think, is probably, uh, most people would agree, was the greatest heavyweight champion. And, of course, he had beaten Ganyu the first time. And then Ganyu knocked him out in the rematch to win the heavyweight title in the UFC. And Ganyu, over the last three or so years, he's still a work in progress. He's this big, strong guy, and he's getting better. He's learning the other things that you can learn, that you do have to be taught, technique, fundamentals, and he's getting better. And the interesting thing is his opponent, the interim champion, Gan, he... He's developed like a smaller guy, but he's big. He's, he's one of those rarities that has the size, has power, maybe not to the level that Nganyu has, but he has size. He has those things that you either have them or you don't have them. But he also has the other things, the technique, the, the development, you know, the, the guile. If you will, um, the the you know just just the good fundamentals and sophistication that usually you connect with smaller guys. Like you see, the smaller guy has all that. In some ways, he reminds me a little bit of Tyson Fury. Fury's this giant, huge mammoth of a man, and usually you don't see the agility connected to that and the sophistication of style and technique connected to that as you do with Fury. That's what makes him so novel, so unique, so special, that, that he has the combination. And I see that with Gone. that, uh, again, that he, he's more developed than you usually see with a big guy like this. And he's, he, he's got the skill sets and, and the development of, of a smaller guy, you know? And, and he's a big guy 
with, I've said this before, and I use this term to explain it. He's like, he's like Goliath with David's brain. <laughs> David and Goliath, of course, the mythical story, the, the Bible story. Uh, but he's got, that's, that's what I see. He's, he's got Goliath's body with David's brain, where he's a huge guy, but he fights like a little guy. You know, he, he's got the instincts of a little guy. He's, he's got the characteristics of, of, of a, he's a heavyweight. You know, he's in a heavyweight's body with the mind of a lightweight. A uh, guy that's going to trick you, a guy who's going to uh, make you miss, a guy who's going to outbox you. You don't usually see that with a guy this big. And to me, that, I'm not saying it makes him an enigma, but it makes him different. And I'm really curious to see Gan with Nganyu because Nganyu, with all his size and strength, he's going to have to be the best he's ever been in the other departments of technique and sophistication that he's ever been in order to use that strength. You know, I often talk about it. It's one thing to have the size, have the power, but it's another thing to be able to get it to the target, to have that delivery system. He's going to need that. And Ganyu's going to need that, that delivery system, that ability to take this, this obviously great, great, special power and be able to make it effective against a guy like Gan. So that's, uh, I made some notes here. Gan is well-rounded. You know, he, he can go on the mat, uh, obviously striking on the mat. He switches stance, lefty and righty. Uh, he does it all offensively and he mixes in a high level of defensive awareness. That makes him special, too. How often do you see these big guys that are elusive? Not too often. Uh, he's athletic. He has the fundamentals, great timing. I would call him cautiously aggressive. He, he, he wants to be the boss, but in a smart way, not just, not just in a rampaging way, coming in, you know, just knocking doors down because he's so big. Um, I, as I said, Naganyu, pure power, strength, you know, he's been developing. Has he developed enough? Um, you know, uh, everything that I just finished saying about Naganyu, uh, I mean, that's, that's, you know, big, strong guy that's been improving. Uh, he's going to need every bit of that improvement uh, when it comes to this fight. Again, a very, very intriguing fight for me. Uh, I think of another fight, when I think of this fight, it's going to kind of blow you away. It's going to shock you. But I think of Buster Douglas, when I think of Gon, uh, when he fought Tyson. Because Tyson, obviously, with his power, um, and everything else he had, quickness, but and athleticism. And then Ganyu has all of that. What an athletic guy. I mean, he, he's huge and he throws kicks to the head. I mean, he, he you know, he's, he's amazing. He's amazing. Um, but Gan has his things too. And the Buster Douglas that night against Tyson, 
Tyson had beaten plenty of big guys, had faced plenty of big guys, but not big guys that were so developed technically, fundamentally, that knew how to fight in the dimensions that Douglas. And that's one thing people probably don't give Douglas enough credit because after that night he got, uh, his first defense, he got knocked out by Holyfield. Um, he was never as good as he was that night. But that night you had a big, massive man, Douglas, big heavyweight, naturally big heavyweight, 235 pounds, whatever he was, um, six foot four, whatever, six five, somewhere in that area. But he had this big heavyweight, that knew how to fight, that that was as fundamentally sound as some lightweights, welterweights, middleweights. And for me, that's what Francis is facing. He's fighting his, he's facing his version in the heavyweight division of Buster Douglas. So it's going to be a very, obviously we're, We'll be pulling for Francis. You know, not that you're supposed to take sides, but you're allowed to. You're, you're allowed to. Um, Ganyu, I'm, I'm sure he's a he's a special person, but we know Ganyu, uh, Gan, we I'm sure that he's special. Uh, if we got to know him to the extent we've been able to know Ganyu, Francis, uh, but we don't know him to that extent. I don't know him to that extent. I just know how he fights, and um, and it's damn good. It's damn good. And, uh, but I know Nganyu, as I said, as a human being. And uh, obviously, we'll be, we'll be uh, rooting for him. But I think, it's a, I think it's a very interesting fight. So interesting, it might not happen. <laughs> one of the, thi- one of the that? things, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. One of the things that's interesting here, and a lot of people might not realize this, and it's hard to... Um, you know, Dana is obviously our friend. He came on the show, gave us a huge soundbite with the Jake Paul challenge. And uh, Markel, Markel Martin, uh, Francis' manager, is also our friend. But look, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that there's this clear conflict of interest in that Markel is an agent at CAA. If they have one rival, <laughs> if this was a fight game, their main combatant would be WME, who owns the UFC. So you can see that right there, there's a very, it's a very touchy situation. But for Francis and someone like Valentina Shevchenko, they're with CAA. And then WME has to negotiate with CAA to get their talent to fight on their card. And, you know, you would go to CAA because you think you have opportunities in film and other forms of entertainment, which I think is, you know, Valentina's coming off. She was just in some huge movie. I, I figure I'm like a major blockbuster she's in. And I think that the goal would be to see Francis expand his, um, you know, his, his resume outside of the octagon. So I get why there's that built in tension, but I just, I just feel bad that Markel Martin is kind of taking all the shrapnel as being like the antagonist here. And, you know, we know those guys personally. Now, and- listen, I'll, I'll put it, I'll put it in simple terms. He's being an agent. He's looking out for his guy. That's all. Yep. Yeah. He's he's being a manager. He's doing his job. Um, you know, sometimes being an agent, guess what? You can't be friends with everybody uh, and people on the other side. Sometimes you know you try, you try to have an amiable, obviously relationship uh, situation. But if you're doing your job for that guy, sometimes that means going to bat for him in certain areas that um, 
someone on the other side might not like so much. Yeah. It's negotiation. Uh, it's called business. And we forget this sport is a business. We forget That's that right. sometimes. It's a, a big business. business. So big, big, very big. And, and talking about very big, very big is the opportunity to have a guy as big as Ngannou that gets your imagination going, you know, and well-spoken and great story, be able to fight almost the mythical, the, the question that's always out there, who's better, the MMA guy, the boxer, you know, who, who's, who's the baddest man on the planet? So you have an opportunity that doesn't come along too often with Ngannou, with everything in, involved, the way he looks, the sizes, you know, the way he represents himself, the backstory, his power, and could fight fury for the heavyweight championship of the world. I mean, people at first say, oh, what's the chance of that happening? I was on an MMA show the other day, Ken. Uh, I forget what show it was. And they asked me to please come on. I came on and they said, what do you think to, it's the likelihood of that fight happening? Or, the, you know, the, the, the possibility. I said, very good. They said, really? Yeah. Why? Money. Money. Where are you going to get that kind of money? You, you got a situation. Forget about competitiveness, athleticism, you know, who's better, the boxer, the, the MMA. Forget all that. When you can get and tap into the people's imagination, like Jake Paul has, to his credit, when you can tap into that, to the imagination of people, to give them a reason to lay their money out, to come out and see something that, that, interest them that that uh, there's a mistake to a mystery to that that uh that they want to find the answer to when you got that you get the chance to make money bigger than what you normally could make inside your professional realm you know they could make bigger money than you normally would make in any mma and you even could normally make in boxing when when you talking about because then it becomes it's kind of like the trainer for uh, Apollo Creed in the Rocky movie said, damn it, this is like a monster movie. This is like, this is like Godzilla versus, you know, uh, whoever. King this Kong. Is, yeah, this is becoming, this, this is, you know, Martha, whoever. But this is becoming like uh, some kind of, I remember he, the trainer for Apollo Creed, he, I didn't get, uh, Rob will find it for me, he's my man. But he said something like, it's like a damn, it's like a damn uh, monster film or movie, where and that's what this would be like. You you're taking in Ganyu, you know. You're taking Tyson Fury. Both have great stories, right? Who's the baddest man on the planet? It's a monster movie, you know. And you can't make a monster movie inside the realm of your sport. You have to cross over to make a monster movie. So now you have a chance to cross over from MMA, UFC to, to boxing. And most people think the baddest man on the planet, the guy who really put that term out was Mike Tyson. The baddest man on the planet is a boxer. Now you could, now what do you do? Now you could, you could go and you could, you could promote it as the time to find out who's really the baddest man on the planet. Godzilla meets, you know, whoever. And, that was Duke and, Evers, by the way, the trainer for Apollo Creed. Thanks to I Rob. Loved him. Duke Evers. I loved him. Loved him. He, you know, when spit came out of his mouth when they were in the <laughs> corner and he was standing inside too long with club line. Yeah! 
<laughs> you know, he was scared. Move! Get out of the corner! Don't stay in that corner! You know, and, and then when they were promoting the first Rocky movie and the promoter and, and, um, and, and Apollo Creed were going over, you know, how they're going to promote it, how they're going to make the posters, everything else. And then the trainer says, he's watching a video of Rocky, of Balboa, hitting the meat. In the in the butcher shop, remember hitting yeah. the ribs, breaking the ribs, blood all over his hand maps, breaking the ribs, and and the trainers being a trainer. I would have been doing the same thing. They're all talking about promotion. He's sitting there watching this video. And he go, Apollo, oh, Apollo. I think you should watch this. I don't have time for that. Wait, wait. Uh, this, this this boy looks serious. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, the you know, show that, was, that the show that you were on was Fight Nation. By the way, all right, thank you. You guys are the best. The UFC, the thank MMA you. show. And you know, and and I right away I said, damn right, there's a good chance that fight will be made. I mean, again, Listen, this, how it's often so, do you, the, how the often reason you get how often you get Ken a chance to make a movie? How often do you get a chance really to make a monster movie? To, you don't get a chance to do that. All you need to know that this is a reality is look at the heat and the pressure that's been put on to Francis. The fact that he's there, like, I mean, I, I feel bad for him. He's constantly being attacked by the brass at UFC. That's a fact. There's no, like, this is not, this is just a, I'm just, a, this is just an observation, right? Because if he runs out the contract, he's going to go fight Tyson Fury. Like, and and I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't be surprised if they both get a guarantee of north of a hundred million dollars for this fight. That's, but that's the, what that's, I'm this, talking about. Ken. This is huge, Ken. Especially if he's the champ. That's what I'm saying. Yep. And the agent is. If there's a possibility for that, then he would he would be guilty of not properly representing his client if he didn't look at that possibility. Yeah. You know, it would be like criminal negligence. Yes. I mean, he's doing his, his job. And listen, Dana's doing his job. That's Dana right. Is, I mean, look what he did building up UFC, selling it for $4 billion, selling it for $4 billion. I mean, and building it and surpassing boxing when it comes to ratings now on a regular basis uh, with pay-per-view and everything else. Every I mean, year amazing. they make, every single year they make more money than the next listen, year. He is the model for how you, oh, for how you build a brand. I mean, really, he he he's Nike uh, in, in his uh, in his part of the world, you know, in a smaller part of the world, but not that small. I, as far as the breakdown of the fight does happen, with Gon, um, and Gon could get in the way of of the fight we just talked about too. Yep, that's exactly that, that's right. Gotta, that, uh, what you think I'm that's not part of what I'm thinking about when I say that I just have a feeling that until they get in the ring, God and Naganyu, you can't be 100% sure. That's that's all because yeah. of those obviously those things being out there and yeah. me being aware of those things. Um, yep. very intriguing fight though. The actually, the card is really good because right before we get that, we get the um was the flyweight champion uh brandon moreno defends his title against davidson figueredo it'll be the third match we've had brandon on the show if you're watching this and you want to hear what brandon had to say you can go back a couple of months and there's a uh, we have a 
an excellent interview with Brandon. He spent over an hour with us. But Brandon Moreno fighting Figueredo third time. The first time Figueredo had the title, they got a majority draw. Razor close, obviously. Uh, they had a draw. Immediate rematch was ordered. And um, Moreno, Brandon Moreno just beat him down, put it on him in a big way. I mean, I, it was shocking how one-sided it was. And, um, you know, I think anytime. You know this better than anyone, but I think anytime you get a rematch with a younger guy versus an older guy and the younger guy won the first time, I can't imagine that the outcome is any different the the second time or the third time around in terms of the decision. And um, I'm looking for big things out of Brandon Moreno in this one. And uh, I know you have thoughts on this one. What are you looking for? Well, listen, there's no walk in the park with the former champion, Figueroa. No walk in the park. I like Moreno to win it. I love Marino. I, I love everything, his passion, his, his um, quite frankly, his personality, his, his way, his humanness, how humble he is, where he comes from. He's the first Mexican-born UFC champion in the history of the sport. Um, and coming from a country where is so historic with his background with boxing champions. I mean, uh, you, you talk about the tradition uh, in Mexico of boxing champions. It's, it's incredible. And he, he winds up becoming the first UFC champion and, and maybe taking that country into a different path now that it's not just about boxing champions. Hey, you got to pay attention to Mr. Marino. Uh, he's the UFC champion. Uh, but that that heritage of great fighters, of champions that is there in that country of Mexico, he embodies that. What I mean by that is I can actually see and sense the pride of that Mexican champion heritage when Marino fights. I do. I really do. I, I, I see he just, it just exudes from him that, I mean, every fighter has pride. I understand. But I actually almost think it's to the extent of being tangible. Like I, I, I could, yeah. like I said, I could see it. I could, I could feel it when Marino gets in there and he gets in his stance like, like he's getting ready to run out of the corner and he's like that and he's got his focus going to his opponent. I, I, that, that's, all, that's all there. You're aware of that, that he's well-conditioned, he's well-prepared like all the athletes for them, but and obviously well-trained and developed with the skill levels. But uh, he's just, he, he's like a, a young kid he's got that baby face you know i think they call him the baby face assassin or baby That's assassin right. but uh it fits but he he's also got seems that unflappable doesn't he seems like he's yeah, always yeah. happy even in but the fight he, well he's so he i think part of it is he's so humble it's noticeable and he's, he's an easy guy to root for and he's very quick he's a good boxer uh he he's gonna fight figurito this is the third fight, obviously. In the second fight, in the rematch, I just felt that going into that fight, Marino was still developing. Figueroa was a little more developed, more mature maybe. 
And Marino was still developing. And when he got that, that draw, you know, when it was that majority draw in the first fight, and, of course, Figueroa kept the title because, you know, you can't win the title on a draw. Um, you can't take the title on a draw. I felt that Marino was ahead going into the fifth round. And he blew the fifth round. And that's where the draw came about. But I, I felt that he was ahead going into the last round. And he took his foot off the gas pedal a little bit for whatever reason. Maybe he was injured. He had an arm that was swollen. He might have been a little, whatever the reason. But he took his foot off the gas pedal in the fifth round. And he learned from that. He learned from that. And in the, in the next fight, in the rematch, he showed what he learned. He wasn't taking his foot off the pedal and his confidence had grown. It's like he learned. Sometimes you got to learn. You got to lose to learn or you got to lose to win. He didn't lose. He had a draw, but it's, it's part of the process. It's along the same road, uh, the same path where he, all the confidence hadn't quite gotten there yet. And then after he, I use the word, I think it's fair. And he's a very humble, fair kid. And a very honest kid, he'd probably be the first one to agree with me that in some ways in the first fight, he blew it because he had the fight. I mean, listen, give Figueredo credit, too. He had a great fifth round. He behaved like a champion. But Marino let his foot off the gas pedal for whatever reason. And in his mind, that's never going to happen again. In his mind, he learned that whatever little doubts were there, Little shadows. We all have shadows up in the attic where, where little shadows of doubt, not so sure. You hold yourself back. And then afterwards you realize, I didn't have to do that. I, I'm better than that. I, I gave him too much respect. Whatever it is that you get confidence, you learn from that loss, from that experience, from that draw. You learn that you were better than you thought you were. I'll make it real simple. You were better than you thought you were. And now he went into that rematch knowing that, and it showed. He fought that way. And now I believe his confidence is only going to go up. There's, there's, you know, it's kind of like hot air. It only can, rate, it can rise. It goes, it goes up even more. It depends if there's a ceiling, it stops. But if there's no ceiling, it keeps going. And I don't know that there's a ceiling on a young kid like Marino. I, I think it's going to keep going. And I think a guy like Figueroa, he's already reached that ceiling where champion, he's terrific, um, very physical. I think his one advantage is he's probably more physical, more physical, pure physicality uh, than Marino. But Marino is so well-rounded. He, you know, uh, Figueroa does have that X factor, the power, the kind of like Wilder had in the heavyweight division that helped him so many times, that one-punch power to erase a lot of mistakes. Figueroa has that. But Marino's got a great chin, and he, he's shown a real capacity, a real ability to box really well, use his jab, use his legs, use the ring, use the cage if you want. Um, he put combinations together, go to the body and the head. Figueroa goes to the body very well, too. Um, but Marino also can handle himself beautifully on the mat. And that's how he won the rematch. He submitted Figueroa in the third round, I believe. My memory serves me correctly, um, in, in the rematch. And he was not only 
technically knew what the hell he was doing on the mat, you know, but he was so quick. He was so quick to make a move, to jump uh, Figueredo, to get an advantage, to get a position. It was, I mean, it was almost startling when I was watching how quick he made those moves on the floor. Uh, so I see a very well-rounded guy. I don't see any weakness in his game. And, and I see him only getting better because of what I took the time to explain before, where mentally, which is 75% of this game, where he realizes how good he is now. He realizes that he belongs. I don't think going in, he was 100% sure he belonged. He was pretty sure he belonged, but maybe not 110% sure. Now he's 150% sure he belongs, and he more than belongs. He leads the pack. And that that's confidence. That's belief. And that's important. That makes That takes all your talent and takes it to another level. And I think Marino's going to that next level. Um, and I think Figueredo has already been at the level for himself that is a top level. I, I don't know that there's any room to expand it for Figueredo. And again, having said all that, he's a big puncher. He's got a physicality advantage. So he's still very dangerous. He's still very – and he's a former champion. He's still very dangerous. But another thing that's a bit of a X factor is Figueredo has trouble cutting the weight. And see, he's a big, strong son of a gun for that weight. And you can see it. And he has trouble from, from everything that, that I hear cutting that weight. And that obviously, um, that, that can play into it too. At the end of the day, uh, I think I broke down every dimension you could have broken down for that fight. I, I like Marino. I, I like the champion, uh, the, the kid assassin, the baby assassin. I, I like uh, I like him to keep moving forward. The assassin baby gets it done. Before we get on to the next fight, Teddy, I just want to say that um, give a quick pause for a minute to give a shout out to the guys at Athletic Greens. Like I don't I don't necessarily credit Athletic Greens with helping me get over COVID, uh, you know, from a scientific standpoint, but I can guarantee you that part of my overall health profile helped me get past that COVID relatively unscathed. And I personally give Athletic Greens a lot of credit. Um, I've been, again, we, they've been with us for a long time. I say it every week, but I love this stuff. I travel with it. I take it every single day. Like when I say every day, I, I mean, it, no matter what's going on, I take Athletic Greens. It's like an insurance policy for your body's health and immunity system. Um, it's all you need to stay on top of your immunity with 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. No need for multivitamins or whatever else you may be taking. Athletic Greens has you covered. Teddy, it tastes great. It's an easy one-step process. I mix it in with some water in a water bottle, shake it up, drink it down. Couldn't be easier. If you go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas, they'll give you free 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. It's athleticgreens.com slash atlas atlas to get the 10 free travel packs those travel packs are uh incredible value i take them with me everywhere like i said sometimes when i was running low recently i searched through all the different backpacks and bags i used to travel and i found like three or four extras to get me through until the new order came in but when i tell you i take it every day it's if i, if I had to pick one thing that i could take every day recovery drink multivitamin this that and the other athletic greens is the one thing i'll take every day and i know you've been taking it teddy through 
through the COVID? How's it been treating you? Uh, listen, it's great. It gives you energy. Honestly, it's convenient. I think that's a big part for me that, you know, sometimes I don't have time or I don't take the time, you know, to be able to eat a meal or, you know, whatever. Uh, you have a glass of that and you feel, you know, you feel you can get to the next round, uh, so to speak, uh, that you need to get to with the energy you need and uh, just feel some fulfillment uh, that you need to feel as far as uh, having something in your stomach. But it's, uh, it's quick, it's light. Uh, it, makes you, it makes you feel good. I always talk about the mental part. Yep. Um, it, it gives you that energy. You feel good. You feel like you put something clean in your body. And some of it's physical, obviously, most of it. But some of it's mental, too, that you feel good about that. Yep. You know, you do. I don't, I don't always feel as good about eating a 35-ounce porter steakhouse <laughs> steak. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I mean, after you finish that, I mean, it tastes good. Don't get me wrong. But after you finish that thing of that porterhouse steak, sometimes, you know, <laughs> you don't feel that great. You're, you want to make sure you're getting your fruits and vegetables on top yeah, of that yeah, steak. And that's how I treat as, athletic. Well, that's how I treat yeah. athletic greens is like, if nothing else, no matter how good or bad my diet is that day, I know I got my 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. And speaking of quick and light. I want to add one thing. I want to yeah, add one thing. It's all, it's a great product, but I'm still going to tell you, and it helps you with your running, but please stop running when there's black ice out there. Stop <laughs> running when there's ice. Because even athletic greens can't help you then. All right. Yeah, that's please. true. Please. <laughs> Fortifies that's my bones bad. and keeps them strong. But speaking of quick and you said it was quick and light. That reminds me before we um, before we sign off for the week, I want to get your thoughts quickly. We still got another month to go, but I want to talk to you about uh, our friend Israel Adesanya fighting the great Robert Whitaker, Bobby Knuckles in a rematch uh, down in Houston, Texas. I'm going to do my best to get to that fight. But um I know you had some thoughts on that one, so I'm dying to hear what you, what you think because now, that first listen, fight was very into, competitive. I'm listen. I'm I don't know. Uh, it was competitive in spots, and then it didn't end competitive because in the second no, round, stopped him. Yep, uh, Whitaker got, got dropped uh, twice, and then he yep. got dropped the final time twice with a right hand, left hook. He got counted coming in. Listen, Adesanya is a special talent. For me, Adesanya, I'm going to be very careful comparing these. Don't go crazy out there. Please, I know what the frick I'm doing, or at least I think I do. But don't go out nuts. But I think of Adesanya in the UFC, and he's still developing. He's still growing. He's still getting better. Um, he's still expanding his reputation. Uh, but I, I think of him the way that I thought in boxing of guys like Ali and and Roy Jones. And again, don't go crazy. I'm not saying he's Ali or he's Roy Jones. He hasn't had enough time yet. Give him more time. I get it. Uh, to earn yourself to that place, a uh, place that you probably can never earn to compare to Ali. But he's he's different. He does things wrong and he makes it right. He's very athletic. He's very instinctual. Um, he's got great sense of timing, great reflexes, great ability. Uh, he's a tremendous striker, you know, uh, he, he, in some ways reminds me of Anderson Silva, uh, in, in that kind of, and even John Jones in that kind of way, two very special UFC champions, uh, former champions. 
Oh well, no, yeah, former champion. I don't think Jones Jones is still around, but he he's, he doesn't have the title. I don't believe anymore. But guys that just are at a different level of doing things. And for me, Adesanya is that guy. He's at a different level of doing things, and he's mentally at a very high level. That that's one of the things that made Jones special when he was special and Ali special was supreme confidence, the belief they couldn't get beat. I think Adesanya has that. Not everybody has that, Ken. And um, he he's a guy that's fun to watch. He's got a great personality. makes it interesting. You know, uh, he, he obviously knows how to entertain. He knows how to promote himself. But he's the real thing when he gets in there. And the first fight with Whitaker, I always like to cover everything. In all fairness, Whitaker had been inactive for about a year and a half. He had been very sick. He'd been hospitalized. He had a staph infection in his stomach. Uh, you know, he was seriously sick. And I'm not making excuses. He don't need me. He was a champion. He was the champion. Here comes the... Hold on. Hold on. My fax machine. Okay. Yes, I have a fax machine. And yes, it works. And yes, I'm a caveman. Now, getting back to Adesanya. In that, uh, to Whitaker. In that first fight, he'd been sick. Obviously, he got himself in shape. You know, got past that. And it was his first fight after being sick. His first fight back was to defend his title against Adesanya, who had become the interim champion during the vacancy of, of Whitaker. You know, while he wasn't around, uh, that, that's what happens. That's the process. They made him the interim champion, Adesanya. Now he fights for the title. He wins it. He knocks him out. He knocks Whitaker out in the second round. <clears throat> I'm just saying that this version of Whitaker now is probably better. I'm not saying he's going to win, but if I'm going to break this fight down for the people out there, I should give more the news or the information they deserve to have. And that I think is, is prevalent. And in handicapping it, I think it is that this – the first fight, being sick all that time, very hard to be 100% mentally or physically. Now he's had three fights since Whitaker, um, since that loss to Adesanya, and he's been very impressive, very impressive. And I'll tell you an area that he's been very impressive, taking people to the mat. Uh, you know, he, he's been um, – he's beaten some good fighters, some really good fighters, and in his last fight, he fought Gastelum, uh, Whitaker, and he was able to, part of being able to win that fight was his ability to take Gastelum, a very strong guy, to the mat. And it's pretty much thought of being a formula that if you're going to beat Adesanya, you're probably not going to beat him standing and striking. You're going to have to take him to the mat. You know, like like Blahovich did. Now, a whole different animal. I'm the first one to say it. Blahovich, the one loss that Adesanya has was against Blahovich when he moved up to light heavyweight to challenge Blahovich. Most people wouldn't have done that for middleweight. He did it because that's Adesanya. He, he challenges himself. He's special. And he believes he's special. 
And he moved up to challenge Blahovich, very strong guy, bigger guy. And Blahovich was able to get him to the mat. To the credit of Adesanya, he knew how to survive on a mat. That takes skill to know how to survive with a guy that good on a mat, uh, to escape your escapability, if you will. Uh, he was able to do that. But he lost the match to Blahovich moving up, and then he moved back down to the weight class that he was he belonged at more, uh, middleweight. But again, Wittig is not as big as Blahovich. I get it. But he's good at taking people to the mat. And he's shown that, and he's shown to be back in form, top form in his last three fights since the last fight that he lost to Adesanya when he lost his title. So I think it's an interesting match. Obviously, I think part of his strategy is going to be exactly what I said, to try to take Adesanya to the mat, not to stand with him. And one of the things he's going to have to correct is not to reach in because he reached in, he was looking for power shots, looking for fat shots, looking for big shots. That's a problem with a counterpuncher like Adesanya because Adesanya did just that. He counted him. <clears throat> he caught him coming in with the right hand and he finished him with the left hook, reaching in a little bit. For me, if I set up a fight plan for, for Whitaker, it would be when you're standing, use your jab. It won't get you in trouble unless you jab from too close and you get counted the right hand. If you jab from the right position, the right distance, you could back up Adesanya with the jab, not put yourself in arm's way so much, not put yourself at risk by throwing big shots that could leave an opening. You know, uh, that's what I would do. I'd use my jab more. Uh, I'd look to get to the floor without reaching, uh, without exposing myself, get him to the mat. I like Adesanya to win this fight. Again, I think he's special. As I just said, he's one of those. You don't compare someone a little bit to Ali and Jones, <laughs> obviously, unless yep. you think they're freaking special. But I, and I think mentally and physically special, but I do think Whitaker will be more competitive this time, much more competitive this time. I think it's a fight that's worth watching because of that. And I'm 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 curious. I'm curious to see uh, Whitaker at his best, to see him try to revenge that loss, which a guy like him, with all the pride that they have, these champions, uh, obviously it's it's bothering him. Obviously, it's important to him. I want to see uh, how he reacts in there, and I want to see how to sign your challenge because I think these special guys with special talent like an Adesanya, they're only at their best when they're challenged. I think they get bored with mere mortals. <laughs> I know exactly they, they, what you mean. You're right. They fight down to yeah. the level of competition at times where they like almost like John Jones would say, he didn't take it serious. He goofed around, just tried to beat him just on talent, not necessarily the work ethic that got him there. And the few times that he did that, it showed according to him. And I think that like some of those guys can, can that, that happens. You know, people take the... Oh, no, I mean, 100%. That's why I'm saying it. And listen, Adesanya is very good. He's got a great coach with Gene. He's been on our show. Uh, tremendous gentleman, tremendous coach. Uh, he's very good at controlling range, Ken, yeah. Adesanya. You know, with his legs. He's got great legs, too. Great hands, great legs. And he... Like Jones and Ali, but anyway, <laughs> I, he he uses his legs to step out, make you reach, 
set traps, keep you off balance, make you miss. So I, and he's very fluid. You know, there's something about watching Adesanya. There's a fluidity to him, a rhythm to him that, that the special ones have. And he has that. You know, it's it's like it's like a Anderson it's like Silva. Yeah, like and it's it's like watching an orchestra, a symphony where everything is just hitting on target. The horns, the the, the you know the uh, the the, the, the flutes, the oboes. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. You're, the French you're horn, former, con- <laughs> former conductor. The French horn. You know all <laughs> maestro. Thank you, maestro. Uh, the, all the things just just coming into sync at the right time. It, it, it's beautiful. You don't have to be, you know, a guy that listens to Beethoven to appreciate it. You 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 hear it, you say, "Wow, that that is smooth. That is perfect." And like a great like a great Yo Yo Ma solo a solo. There it is, my <laughs> <laughs> Teddy, Thank you. before before I get your before I get your prediction on who wins that fight, one of the things we you talk about all the time is that um, boxing and UFC can be 80, 90 percent mental at times. And I just want to take a quick minute to give a shout out to one of our newer sponsors, BetterHelp. Happy to say that the podcast today is being sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're struggling with your mood, Teddy, or there's something mentally that's keeping you from achieving your goals. Be sure to check out BetterHelp to improve your mental game. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Again, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's not hocus-pocus. This is professional therapy done securely in online in the privacy of your own home. Once you're set up with BetterHelp, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can sec- you can schedule secure weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room like you would with traditional therapy. Better help, that's help, H-E-L-P, wants you to start living a happier life today. Check them out at betterhelp.com slash atlas to get 10% off your first month. Join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash atlas for 10% off your first month. Teddy, I love this product. I've been using it for the last few weeks. And... uh Listen, people discount mental health a lot of the times, especially as athletes. You know, we're like, hey, let's just suffer physically. But if your mental, if the mental component's not there, to your point, it could be up to 80% of the game. If you're not hitting on all cylinders, including your mental health, you're selling yourself short and you're doing yourself a disservice and the people around you, quite frankly, because when you're not happy, it reflects on everyone and everyone is subjected to your moodiness. I can only speak for myself when I say that I know when I'm not at my best, it makes everyone else around me not as happy as they could or should be. So please check out BetterHelp. And I know, Teddy, you're probably on the same page as well. Yeah, you know what? I would guess, it's, it's, first of all, it's not important. It's beyond important. It's the most important thing in our life is to mentally be right. There, there is so little known. There's a lot known about the physical well-being of a person, you know, we have specialists for that. Um, and we've made great strides in all those areas. But the one area we haven't made is enough strides is um, in that area of mental health. There's so 
little known about it, and it's so important. If you're if you're not if you're not feeling good about yourself and right about yourself, um, it doesn't matter how small it might seem to somebody else. It's huge. It's huge. Um, the smallest thing to someone else that might seem insignificant can be a tragic, literally tragic to somebody that because part of the danger of it is they keep it to themselves because as I just said, there's not a familiarity with it. It's not like you can go to a doctor and say my wrist hurts, you know, I got congestion in my chest, you know, I got a pain in my back, you know, my foot is sore, you know, uh, people are uncomfortable go, going to somebody and saying, hey, I don't feel good about myself. I, I feel depressed. I, I, um, I just don't feel right. I'm not happy. Uh, I get bad thoughts. Who wants to expose themselves to that, to someone else? Who wants to talk about that? Not, not too many people. And that's one of the reasons why it's such a crisis in this country, mental health. And that's one of the reasons why we do have tragedies, because people aren't comfortable talking about it. And they keep it inside. And that's the most dangerous part of it, is you keep it inside. Because when you keep it inside, it's got nowhere to go except internally, and it has to come out. And when you have nowhere to let it out, no one to talk to, no answers to your questions about how you're feeling and why you're feeling that way, you got a serious problem. And sometimes a very serious problem. And um, I know about it very well. I've been involved with my foundation, helping people that are in those dire straits. Uh, we're helping people right now, to be honest, that are in that uh, with my foundation. So, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked, I'll tell you. I say what I believe. I wouldn't be shocked if the people of this product reached out to us because of what they hear us talk about on the show and what other people have told them about this show. It's not just about lefts and rights. It's not just about, you know, uh, punching ability and elusiveness in the ring or in the cage. It's about the mental side. And we connect. I remember the first day that we had our first show. And thank God, I mean, we're so proud. We're so grateful to the people out there. We just went over 226,000 subscribers and um, over 41 million downloads, whatever the freak that is. But... um. <laughs> You guys know what that is. But, and we're very proud. We're very grateful. But I remember the first day when you asked me the question, what do you expect out of this show, Teddy? And I said, I think life is a fight. It's been my whole life. And life itself is a battle. It's a fight. And what I want to get out of this is to be able to connect the dots through boxing with life for the people out there, for everybody out there that are dealing with their own fight, their own private little fight, whatever it is, that they can use this show that we can help connect those dots, bridge those gaps where, you know, from, from the, the, the fighting, using the fighting to connect those dots in a human way, in a real way, in a life way. And this product you're talking about does that. It, it helps in those areas. Uh, the most important thing in the world. You know, I always say 75% of boxing is mental. Well, 90% of life is mental. Yep. Yep. That's you don't feel truth. right mentally. You don't feel right mentally. I don't give a damn. You could, you could look like Adonis. 
You could look like a statue. You could be the seemingly healthiest person in the whole freaking world. But you're not. Not not if you have battles going on inside. Not if you have demons going on inside. You're preaching to the choir, and I will just say to people, listen to this. You know, yes, everyone is special in their own way, but at the end of the day, you have to remember, you're not unique in that every you're feeling things other people haven't felt. Everyone's battling their own internal dialogue. We all have two voices in our head, like an alpha and a beta. If you're struggling with something, reach out to someone because I promise you, you're not special. Other people have gone through the same thing. And if this show can help in any way, I mean, the the amount of people that have reached out to me, just in general, and I'm always happy to try and talk to people and help people. And I know Teddy is too. And we appreciate the support you guys have given us. But on this topic of mental health, especially when it comes to fighting, it's like a macho sport. We all want to be aggressive and not seem vulnerable. But listen, take it for, I I can only speak from my own experience. This is something that I've struggled with my whole life. We all want to fit in. We all want to feel accepted. It's, 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 it's normal to have doubts and have mental health struggles along the way. Do the right thing and take care of yourself. You have to be your own best friend. No one else is coming to help you. You got to help yourself. And if you ask for help, most likely people are going to give you help. Quite often, you're going you're gonna to feel that you're the only one. You're in a solo universe. I get it. And you think you're the only one who feels this way who feels that down, has those doubts, feels that insignificant, feels that lonely, that lonely. You're the only one. No, you're not. You're not. It's obviously the ones, the other ones, you're not aware of it. Uh, the same way as you not speaking about it, they're not speaking about it. But are you alone? No. You're, you're not in a solo universe by any means. But... You need to be able to get out what's inside and not stay trapped in that solo prison. Anyway, um, very important, very important product. Very, very, very important. And and something that I'm very familiar with. Yeah, one of the things they tell you when you go through different rehab programs and recovery treatments, they tell you you're only as sick as the secrets you keep. So don't be afraid to share what's going on with you with the right people and, uh, you know, BetterHelp hopefully can provide that. That, was, <laughs> that wasn't that was just a long ad read. That was just sincere, like, a concern and appreciation for the fans and for everyone that's watching. Like, we, we say it every week, but I can't stress it enough how grateful and appreciative we both are to have you guys listening and watching and sharing it. Like, we appreciate everything, honestly. It's been one of the greatest things in in my life to have this outlet with Teddy and to be able to talk to all the beautiful people that have corresponded with us. So thank you to everyone for being with us. Teddy, thank you again for allowing me to be on this journey with you and um, appreciate all the thoughts on these upcoming fights this week. Hey, it's a pleasure being with you. And um, I enjoy it. That's the most important thing is when you're enjoying something, you're very privileged when you're doing something that's not work. It's something that uh, is a pleasure. You are, you are very fortunate. You are, you have a, you are gifted to have that. And we have that and with each other and with Rob and we um, were able to go and speak to the people every, every week to go out there and speak to people and talk to people uh, and give them our opinions, our thoughts, and then hear their thoughts back. 
even yeah. though sometimes I'm not <laughs> thrilled with all of that. <laughs> but you know what? God bless you all. Uh, you know, everybody is important to us. Uh, and uh, just thank you. Thank you guys for caring enough. I'll, I'll leave you with this. You know, sometimes I, I hear about, I don't watch the internet stuff, so I hear from you. You read every freaking thing, unbelievable. <laughs> and um, I don't know how you do it, but um, you're a better man than I. Got to have uh, my finger on the pulse. To, to, to do the, yeah, I'm afraid you have your finger on another button too. Uh, to, <laughs> to, to, to nuke these, to some of these, uh, never mind, I won't go there. So, 99% of the but, negative comments are by anonymous clowns that have too yeah, much time well, on course. their hands. If you have real- if you have listen, real constructive listen, criticism, we, I'm open to listen, it. They, you don't like the truth, don't come on here. Or yeah, at least what we, exactly. what we put out there is what we feel, and we don't hesitate. But And both sides, both sides. Yeah. We, we, don't, we don't say, oh, we got to be nice to this guy because we, we, want, his, we, we want him to, to be in favor with him. Fit that. No, we don't. <laughs> exactly. No, I already burnt every possible job out there. So I can, get, <laughs> I, I can give to you know what. Yeah, um, true story. But... But, but yeah, <laughs> but you know, like the great Ali said, he, uh, we're, we're so appreciative of this audience that we have. And if you want us to, if you really like us as much as we think you do and you've shown that you do or, or for whatever reason, because you want to see what the hell's going to come out of our mouth or you want to learn something and you want to be uh, more up to speed on certain things, whatever, uh, you know, then keep doing it. Get us to a million, baby. Get yeah. us to a million, and and I'll stay around a little longer. Get us to a million, and and uh, you know, I'm I'm kidding around, but I'm I'm not. But at the same time, it's like the great Ali said, and we never compare ourselves to a man like that. But the theory of it is 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 consistent, where he would always say, you know, I go into a full arena. And half the people are there because they like me. They might even love me. And half the people are there because they hate me. <laughs> but the one thing that matters, they're all there. Yeah. <laughs> so so you couple people, there's only one or two of you, yeah. that might be there for the other side of what Ali was talking about. God bless you. You know what I mean? And like Ken said, you know, and about these anonymous sources and stuff. You know what? You know what? The, and I'll leave with this. You know what? The, it's a bad picture to leave with Ken, but what the hell? Um, the, the most unsettling thing about some of those people, they wear baggy underwear. <laughs> with that said, we're going to leave you with that. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button for us, please. It helps us a lot. And come back next Monday, and we're going to hopefully be speaking with the champ, Francis Ngannou. Thanks, Special guys. Man. Have a great week.